2020. Election year. On September 19, millions of Kiwis will head to the polling booths to cast their votes and decide who is in charge of Aotearoa for the next three years. People our age, the 18 to 25 year olds of New Zealand, are notorious for not getting amongst the political system. Together we comment, tag, react and share moments like this. Flushing! Okay, boomer. My fucking good idea. Get some guts! But pay absolutely no attention to the bland, boring crap like this. Doesn't give my opponents much time to run up to an election, does it? I'm Mitch Redman. And I'm Nick James. And we're here to chat politics with, with no, no filter. filter. This week on the No Filter Podcast, we talk rugby, cars and euthanasia with at party leader David Seymour. First off, I know what you're probably thinking, what is the ACT Party? The ACT Party was founded in 1993, originally by two people seemingly from different ends of political beliefs. This was because co-founder Roger Douglas started as a Labour MP and the other co-founder, Derek Quigley, started as a National MP. While both of these men seemed to be completely opposite on the face of it, Roger was a big fan of the free market economy. When he became Minister of Finance in the 1980s, he implemented his economic plan, which has now been dubbed Rogernomics. A free market economy sounds pretty full on, but in basic terms it means that any decisions made about the economy and capital are dictated by market signals, not the government, essentially meaning the government taxes people as little as possible. For example, if I somehow got the money to buy a house in today's climate, the ACT Party thinks that the government should have no ability to tax that house, as it goes against the freedoms of a free economy. This idea came into most decisions made by the party, such as euthanasia. ACT believes people should have the right to choose if they want to die. Wow, uh, that got morbid. Anyways, in 1987, Douglas had a wee scrap with then Prime Minister David Longy about the implementation of a tax proposal resulting in the finance minister resigning and starting the ACT Party. The ACT Party is quote-unquote right of the political spectrum, meaning it holds the beliefs the government should interfere as little as possible with the economy and people's freedoms. At the moment, ACT is somewhat of a one-man band in Parliament, with the only sitting member being party leader David Seymour. You may remember Seymour from him remarkably getting fifth place for his dismal performance on Dancing with the Stars NZ. While fifth place was quite the achievement for Seymour, he definitely didn't get fifth place in the last election. He is not only a completely average dancer, but also the electorate MP for Epsom, meaning ACT wouldn't be in Parliament unless he wrecked this seat, due to them not getting 5% in the last election. But that's a story for another episode. So after that long introduction, here's Mitch Redman's interview with the literal one and only parliamentary member of the ACT party. David Seymour. First up, I just want to get you to cast your memory back to your student years. So you were a boarder at Auckland Grammar before heading off to the University of Auckland. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that time in your life and what you studied and what your hobbies were and things like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I um, look. I was just mainly into the rugby, and then I then I got to uh, Auckland Uni, and I discovered Shads, which is the uh, equivalent of the Foundry down there in Canterbury, <laughs> and um, that made it harder to play rugby. But I uh, studied two degrees. I'm a babe, BA, 
BE, philosophy and electrical engineering. Um, and uh, that's mostly what I did. That's awesome. And um, obviously, you'll be a Blues supporter from being up in Auckland. Are you quite happy with how they're going at the moment? Well, no. Um, so my dad's family's from the Manawatu. I was born in Palmerston North, so I'll go the Canes. <laughs> That's incredible. Nick, that I'm actually doing the podcast with, he's from Palmy as well. So I'm sure he'll be very happy with that answer. <laughs> um, so, and while you were at university, you were chairman of the Youth um, Act Group. As a young New Zealander, what was it about politics that captured your interest? And where did that interest come from? Well, I as a young person had uh, some concerns that, that probably haven't changed a huge amount for young people now. Um, I, I didn't like, I wanted to be rich. I wanted cool stuff like Ferraris. Uh, I was a bit worried that, um, you know, not everyone would have the opportunity to do that. I might not even succeed myself. So I was worried about, you know, can you be rich? Can, can we be equal? Uh, and what if everyone got rich out of Ferrari? We might destroy the environment. Uh, and I thought, gee, this is pretty depressing. Um, you know, either a poor, unequal, or environmental wasteland were the three options. Um, interestingly, uh, getting involved in politics was sort of a way of inquiring about that. And free markets were, were particularly helpful because what I found is that wealthy countries can afford to do environmental stuff. Poor countries, they're just hungry, so they shoot whatever and eat it. Um, secondly, uh, countries that have free markets tend to have lots of growth and opportunity that's going on. You know, people can uh, actually succeed in a, in a dynamic economy, whereas a, you know, a, a, a sluggish economy, people kind of stay where they are, so you're either rich or you're poor, and you know, that's the way it is, um, just like life was before the Industrial Revolution. Um, and then the real, one, some really interesting things about free markets in the environment is that all the pollution is in the things that nobody owns. It's in the air and it's in the water. So one of the most important things for, for, for um, you know, good environmentalism is, is ownership. So there's someone saying, don't put that there, that's mine. And um, I just learned that, that actually, you know, if you wanted prosperity and you wanted to be good environmental custodianship, uh, then you actually had to do something really counterintuitive and that was to promote uh, government to do less stuff because it's in those countries that have free markets that generally get better outcomes on a whole range of measures but the incentive for politicians is always to bribe people for votes raise taxes to pay for it make rules on people you don't like uh, and make regulations to back it up uh, and so politics makes us less free but freer people are better off We'll move into more politics chat now. So you've been the leader of the ACT Party since 2014. Could you please tell us a little bit more about the ACT Party and what the party stands for? It was founded by the people who were, were really responsible for ushering in the modern, pluralistic, open, tolerant New Zealand that we have. Um, but people formed ACT because they believed it hadn't gone far enough and we needed um, more change. You know, So just like in the 80s, we introduced you know, opportunity and, and, and openness to, you know, what sort of clothes you could import and what sort of cars you could buy. You know, that stuff used to be controlled by the government, believe it or not. Uh, we also said, well, actually, if you get money from the government to pay for a kid's education, you should be able to take it to a private school or a charter school. Because if we had more options and more competition, then, you know, particularly people who are currently disadvantaged would have more opportunity. So you, you see how that links back to that idea of a, a dynamic society, more opportunity for, for people who are maybe not doing so well right now, they could be doing better 
and I think generally ACTS stands for individual freedom, uh, you know, for critical thinking, um, for, for trying to come up with better policy ideas so we can have a better tomorrow. But generally it slants towards the idea that, uh, you know, that, that every individual is special and in a free society they have uh, the opportunity to um, manifest that specialness instead of being put in a box. Many young people will know about the cannabis referendum that's coming up in September's general election, but they may not know as much about the end-of-life choice bill. As the Member of Parliament who introduced this to the House, could you tell us a wee bit more about this and perhaps the reasoning behind bringing the idea forward? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, people, some people like to say, I, I think it's a bit cliched, but people like to say, you know, you, you judge a society by how it treats its weakest member. Um, and I think, oh, that's okay. It sounds good. So here's the question. How do we treat people with a terminal illness who can't be helped by palliative care, who are dying really badly, suffering, and, and just want to say, it's my life, it's my choice, I'm going now? You know, like we can either do one of two things. We can say to them, okay, here is a properly safeguarded legal system. You go through, you ask one doctor, he checks it out. You ask another doctor, she checks it out. You know, if it all lines up and the forms all get reported to the Ministry of Health and they make sure everything's above board, blah, blah, blah. You, you can go through that process and then you can choose, you know, exactly how and when you die. Say, so, yep, you've got to writhe in agony on plastic sheets. Keep suffering uh, because some other people's conception of life and morality uh, requires you to die, quote unquote, naturally. Um, well, one of those options is a free and enlightened country that is compassionate. The other one is completely barbaric. And I'm asking people to vote yes in the referendum on the End of Life Choice Act uh, so we can be a compassionate and enlightened country, which gives people suffering at the end of their life uh, choice under proper safeguards. Absolutely. And recently on One News, they've revealed their Colmar Brunton poll results and ACT has jumped up to 3% on those polls, which could see three other ACT candidates join you in Parliament. What was it like hearing that news? Uh, it was a very, very brief celebration because what you've got to remember is that um, there's 86, no, 85 days from today until the election um, and a poll is just one time. So, you know, that could be the higher watermark if we don't work harder, but it is encouraging. It shows that, you know, 3% means about 75,000 people out there are now saying, I'm going to vote for ACT. And our goal is to get to 150,000 people by the election. That's so cool. And on the topic of seats, ACT only currently has one seat in Parliament that you sit in. Surely there must be pros and cons to being the only representative of ACT in the House, and it must be quite nice having the place to yourself sometimes, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, I mean, it'll be a big change for, for better and for worse. I mean, I will have to consult with other people sometimes, so they'll uh, that make it a bit harder. Um, but actually, no, nah, that, that's not true, because even though there's no other ACT members in Parliament right now, there is still a party. Um, and there are still, you know, people I represent in Parliament. Um, there's still people who, are, you know, are party members and members of the board and supporters of the party. Um, and, you know, you've got to keep all those people, you know, sort of happy with what you're doing. Um, so the fact that there's going to be two or three more people in the parliamentary caucus is a, is a change and it's a significant change. Uh, but it may not be as big as it sounds. In this next segment, we take a look at a complicated part of the voting process and try and make things a little easier to understand. Welcome to... What the f***? 
MMP. It's the system we use every three years to determine who will be governing the country. But what is it? MMP stands for Mixed Member Proportional Representation. Again, what the f*** is that? At its core, it means that to form a government, a variety of different parties have to compromise, complain and negotiate their way into working with each other to have power over the country. It's like having a mixture of drinks on a night out and hoping they all come together to give you a good night, instead of leaving you hugging a toilet and not making it into the clubs. <laughs> Theoretically, this is meant to be a better system than the one it took over in 1996, FFP, or First Past the Post. First past the post was much simpler. It essentially meant whoever got the most amount of votes governed. While in some cases people would argue that this is more fair, it is also thought of as not having as much diversity on ideas, as many minor parties could never be heard in the system. In terms of the actual ballot, the MMP system gives you two votes. One of these votes is your electoral vote. This is your vote for who you want to represent your slice of New Zealand. The other vote is the party vote. This vote determines how many seats each party gets in Parliament, and which party you believe should be running the country. Another spinner to throw in the works is that if your party doesn't get 5% of the vote and doesn't have an electoral seat, it can't get into Parliament, so be careful who you vote for. For example, I might think the person representing National in my district is absolutely unreal, so I give them my electoral vote. But I might like the Green Party's policies better, so I give them my party vote. Before I mention seats, these aren't just the big, ugly, green, comfy chairs politicians sit in to make themselves feel important, but they also mean something grander in the big scheme of MMP. There are 120 seats in all of Parliament, therefore, to form a government, the parties must put enough seats together that equates to more than half of that, which is 61 seats. The current government scrapes just past this, with 63 seats between Labour, the Greens and New Zealand First. So in a nutshell, that's MMP. It's complicated, wordy, but hopefully works to create a fair system for voting in Aotearoa that can represent everyone's best interests as much as possible. Just looking at COVID-19 briefly, it's obviously completely taken over the year 2020. How have you found the government's response to COVID-19 and do you stand by your comment of our borders being the world's dumbest? <laughs> Look, there could be another country out there with dumber borders than ours, maybe, but um, ours are pretty dumb because here's the thing, right? So the government's testing, I don't know, 5,000 people a day. Now it's gone up to about 10,000 since they got all this attention. Um, so you test, let's, let's say it's 5,000 a day. And every day, um, about 250 people are released from quarantine, right? Because they got 3,200 beds and 14 days of quarantine so you, you do the maths and um anyway you, the question is are the 250 that were being released from quarantine in the 5,000 you test you know now now surely they are right like you're gonna test if you're gonna test anyone like if you're gonna if you if you can only test 300 people you'd you'd test all the people that were being released that day right yeah, that makes and they, sense. they didn't test those people. They tested 5,000 other people that hadn't just come from overseas. I mean, this is insane. <laughs> so, you know, there might be dumber borders out there, but, but there's the, pretty dumb borders, you've got to admit.
Absolutely. And um, I've got a few questions now that I believe people our age may want to hear the answer to that perhaps the mainstream media don't ask you quite as often. So I'm, I'm going to begin with an incident a few weeks ago uh, where you were kicked out of the debating chamber for calling Winston Peters a grandpa. Are you able to describe to us what that feels like? I feel like it might be sort of something similar to getting sent to your bedroom by mum or dad or something like that. Like being back in the back row of 5B chemistry again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, and um, another question I've got is uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said a few weeks ago that she did um, a little dance when she found out there were no active cases of COVID-19, um, which may have been a bit premature in hindsight. Did she, though? Like, is, there any, is there any proof? <laughs> exactly. Um, did the Prime Minister come to you for any dancing tips, considering your background on Dancing of the Stars by any chance? <laughs> I think like it is probably less likely that people would ask me for dancing tips after I went on that show. Oh, that's untrue. You did an incredible job. These days outside of the beehive, uh, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? And do you actually get much spare time as a politician? Yeah, so it, it really is a 24-7 business. I mean, every day I'll have something, at least one thing in my calendar that's a, a public engagement. Um, travel quite a lot so it'd be pretty unusual if I didn't go to three different cities in a in a week um so that really cuts into to the rest of your time but no look I, I like you know, I got a, a group of friends that we catch up with have dinner parties I, I like working on my sports car I changed the clutch over the uh, over the summer break which is a bit of a mission um try and play a bit of guitar also Northland's really special to me so my mum's family's from the far north um, and I'm really lucky that, that her family has a, a beach house, so I quite like to go up there. Um, so, yeah, we've got a few few little things to do on the side. Beautiful part of the country, isn't it? My, uh, my dad's side of the family, they're from Kaitaia, so we love getting up there as oh, often as we can. I, yeah, when I say far north, I mean just north of Whangarei, not, yeah. not what you're talking about. <laughs> not, no, that's, not, that's north, not north. north. <laughs> yeah. uh, Absolutely. And, hey, just to wrap up finally, um, what would your words of advice be to first-time voters or young people who are perhaps disengaged from politics? Why should they bother voting this election and why should they vote for ACT? Well, I can tell them that uh, a lot of other people who don't have their interests in heart uh, will vote. So at the very least, uh, they need to be voting uh, just to level the score. But hopefully, uh, you know, a vote for ACT is actually a vote for a free and open, tolerant New Zealand with a growing economy uh, that just has a better standards and better ideas than, you know, locking down the country and borrowing money, uh, letting younger generations part back in the future you know we got to have the world's smartest borders we got to welcome foreign investment uh, we got to welcome business to create interesting jobs we got to ultimately make it easier to build a home uh, so that our generation can build like the boomers did um, and no one else is looking after those interests i mean you know labor the greens um they they sell well i'll give them that but what have I actually done in the last three years um, when they've had power to advance the interests of younger New Zealanders? And that was ACT Party leader David Seymour. Next up on the No Filter podcast, Nick has a chat to News Hub political reporter Mitch Alexander, who wraps up last week's political news. The week that was. It's been a big week in Parliament this week, um, with a few people bowing out and a bit of reshuffling. Uh, let's start with David Clark. It seems like the writing has been on the wall for a while now. What do you make of the whole situation? 
Yeah, you're certainly right. It's been a heck of a week here in Parliament. Lots going on and definitely David Clark stepping down as, as Health Minister has probably been uh, the biggest moment. The writing has been on the wall. Um, you recall he did actually offer his resignation uh, a number of weeks ago um, after he, he, he broke lockdown rules multiple times. Um, and ever since then, he's been under a lot of pressure, a lot of public pressure uh, to stand down. And that, I guess, was ramped up when he uh, was caught up publicly blaming uh, the nation's hero at the moment, Ashley Bloomfield, the Director General of Health, um, for the botch-ups botch at the border. So, yeah, it's certainly been a long time coming um, in regards to him leaving. And, uh, yeah, he essentially came to the conclusion that he was proving a distraction for the government's response to, to the pandemic and stood aside. Right. And what effect do you think this has on the Labour Party and their supporters? Well, I guess ultimately the public's uh, response or the public's um, vibe in regards to David Clark hasn't been positive. Um, as I've mentioned, you know, he's, he's, he's flouted lockdown rules. He's criticised Ashley Bloomfield, who, you know, everyone's enjoyed seeing every single day during this really difficult time. So I think there's possibly a sense of relief that, you know, he is stepping aside so that instead of um, him being a distraction, which is what he and the Prime Minister um, acknowledged to the, you know, COVID-19 recovery, as the focus can now be on actually getting on with it and not having him, uh, you know, being, I guess, a bad stain, some would say, um, um, in regards to that. Right. And um, Chris Hipkins has been handed the health portfolio. This is uh, on top of the education portfolio. These are two pretty sizable portfolios for one minister. Why do you think the Prime Minister has chosen Hipkins rather than going to someone else who has a bit less on their plate? Yeah, well, it's certainly a good point. I mean, the reason I, I believe he has been picked is because he's um, been seen as a, a pretty competent minister. You're right, you know, education is a, is a massive portfolio. He's also the Minister for State Services, so, the, um, you know, handling the public service. He's also the Leader of the House, so sort of in charge of what goes on in the debating chamber for, um, for the government or for Labor. I guess it was discussed that, you know, he's got a good track record at dealing with big government departments. Um, he says he's up for the challenge, but we've also got to remember that this is just a temporary role. And if Labor can form a government after the election, um, the Prime Minister said that she'd then reassess how it's going. But yeah, today's his, his first official day in the role, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Right. Also, a long-time member of Parliament, Paula Bennett, announced she wouldn't be running in the next election. How much of a loss is this for the National Party? Yeah, well, it certainly is a, a huge loss. Um, you're right, she's been here for, I think, 15 years. She's acted as Deputy Prime Minister. She's held a number of ministerial portfolios. And, you know, sh she's certainly loved by a lot of national supporters. So definitely uh, a massive loss. She was also um, in charge of the campaign, um, the Nationals campaign um, for the election, until, of course, she was she was rolled um, by Todd Muller and Nikki Kaye in the Nationals Leadership Challenge, which was last month. So, yeah, she's, she's a polarising presence in Parliament. She's not afraid to speak up and say what she says, uh, say what she thinks, rather. And, yeah, she she describes herself, you know, she's really passionate um, and uh, isn't afraid to, to, to get her hands dirty, to work hard, 
um, to achieve um, what she wants to achieve. So, yeah, certainly a, a, a huge loss. Um, it certainly um, overshadows um, her new leader, Todd Muller's, uh, discussions on the day. And it also overshadowed, I guess, to an extent, Judith Collins, who's also releasing her book, which you would have seen over the week. So, mm. um, yeah, a massive loss to National. Right. And uh, due to this, Todd Muller's had to reshuffle his reshuffled shadow cabinet. Simon Bridges has returned on the list at 17. What do you make of this? Yeah, well, it seems that Simon Bridges has almost benefited from Paula Bennett's you know, resignation. But the big the big win for him is, is taking on the Foreign Affairs portfolio, which was originally what he'd asked for uh, when he first stepped down, um, or sorry, was replaced as uh, national leader. He had um, actually gone to Todd Muller and said, this is what I want. But Todd went back and he'd already given it to Jerry Brownlee. Um, so yeah, that's certainly a big win for Simon, um, considering he's, he's got that portfolio, which is a, a pretty significant one. Uh, if, you know, he was, if National did win the election, he would, you know, well, I guess, you know, it's Foreign Affairs Minister, which is what Winston Peters is currently. Um, but yeah, certainly um, good news for Simon. Uh, Todd's been under a lot of pressure recently in terms of the diversity in his um, you know, shadow cabinet lineup because um, there are no Māori MPs on the front, front bench or, or anything like that. So, um, with Paula Bennett leaving, um, she, um, who, who, who was Māori, that certainly opened up um, that discussion again. But um, the Whangarei MP, Shane Eriti, he, he's been promoted to uh, Paula Bennett's spot. So, um, that was certainly another discussion point. Definitely. That was actually going to be my uh, next question with uh, Dr. Shane Reti being pushed up to 13. There's been a lot of pressure on National and the whole uh, Māori representation that it wasn't up to standard. How does this make Muller look ahead of the upcoming election? Well, I think from his perspective, he's always maintained that he chooses on what he thinks, who, who he thinks um, is the best person for the job. And he um, obviously did promote Shane Reti to that position and may have allayed some fears or some criticism from some people in regards to, um, you know, the diversity um, on his, on his, I guess, front bench or in his... Uh, shadow cabinet, so to speak. But yeah, it's certainly something that he's copped a lot of flack for and something that I think he needs to, you know, really um, front foot, which I guess is what he's been trying to do. Um, so only the public can judge whether or not he's got, um, you know, the right the right mix of people he believes he has. Um, and so time will tell to see whether or not that bodes well come September. And that's us for this week. Thanks to Act Party leader David Seymour and News Hub political reporter Mitchell Alexander for joining us. Be sure to stay with us in the lead up to September's general election. We'll see you next week on the No Filter podcast. This was produced by students at the New Zealand Broadcasting School.